Great. Well, yeah, as Tim said, my name's Paul. I'm one of the leaders here, and I'm going to be continuing our series on being kingdom builders. And today, I'm talking about serving the king. You know, I love the fact that the Lord of heaven and earth, the maker of all things, has got time in his schedule to bother to fiddle about with little details for me and to just occasionally give me a little tap on the shoulder or a little pat on the back and saying, well, I, none of you probably will ever have noticed, but I always carry my notes in a green folder here. Um, and I couldn't find my green folder last night to put my sermon in. And um, so the only folder I could find, other than some really big leave rights thing, was this yellow folder. And this yellow folder is where I cut out articles from magazines. That I, if, I've got, if I get a magazine, you know, I, I got to the stage when I had piles and piles of mag Christian magazines that I'd never really read, and they were just cluttering the place up. So now, rather than keeping the whole magazine, when I get a magazine, I flick through it, I see if there's an article I want. If I like it, I rip that page out and stick that in this folder, and the rest of it goes in the bin. And I picked this yellow folder up yesterday, and I got my notes... And I went to put them in, and right, right, the very, very top article is about, if I can find it, Christ is king, not me. When Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, he was inviting us to seek God's rule and reign every aspect of our life. And I thought, my sermon notes are going on top of that article, which is the article which is about what I'm preaching. And it's just like, it was just like God was saying, Paul, it's cool. You know? I knew you were preaching on that subject a few weeks ago when you cut that article out. I knew a month or two before that when the editor was putting it together that he needed to put it on a page that faced that way and not that way, and I sorted that. And I knew a couple of months before that that you were going to be preaching today on this subject, and I got someone to write the article on it. It's just like, Wow! Sorry, that's nothing to do with what I'm preaching on, but, you know, it just makes me feel, I'm okay, you know, <laughs> he's got it sorted. <laughs> so, kingdom builders serving the king. If we are, Dave King always used to like to, he used to be the leader of this church, and one of his favorite stories was about three builders who come along, who are working together, <coughs> and he asked the first, you asked the first builder, what are you doing? And the answer is, I'm putting bricks one on top of another with mortar between them. And then the second builder says, I'm building a wall. And the third builder says, I'm building a cathedral to the glory of God. Now, if we are, sometimes we can go through our lives just putting one brick on top of another. And that is our job. But. We have to remember why we're doing it and what we're doing. And our series is about building the kingdom. And we have to remember that what we do in every aspect of our lives is building God's kingdom. So if we're going to know that, what is God's kingdom? What are we building? And I found this definition is the kingdom, is the dynamic rule and reign of God 
over all creation. That's pretty big, isn't it? And it's, it's God's dynamic rule and reign over all creation. So this is all-encompassing. This covers everything. The whole, the whole planet, the whole universe. And it's about God ruling and reigning over it, being the king. And that is what we are working towards doing. That is what we are building. God's kingdom. You know, in Revelation, we don't see everybody disappearing off up into some magical kingdom in the sky. What you see at the end of Revelation is God coming down onto the planet, transforming everything that's here, bringing everything under his complete rule and reign and ruling eternally on this planet with us over a redeemed, renewed creation that is perfect in every way. And what we are doing now is bringing that in, is building that a little at a time. We're not there yet. That will come one day. Hallelujah. And there were, But we are working towards that. There are glimpses of that now, and we are bringing those glimpses in. So why? Why do we build the kingdom? We build the kingdom because it's God's priority. It's what God is calling us to do. John the Baptist came. And Matthew's introduction to John the Baptist says, In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. And his message was, Repent of your sins, turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Matthew was a good Jew. As a good Jew, he seldom ever would have written the name of God. Therefore, in Matthew's gospel, he, he always refers to the kingdom of heaven rather than the kingdom of God. In fact, in the New Testament, God's kingdom, the word kingdom, comes up more than 150 times. It's a constant theme of the New Testament. Matthew actually accounts for nearly a third of those. His message, his gospel, is all about the kingdom coming, the kingdom coming, the kingdom coming. Mark writes a much shorter and therefore much more direct and dynamic gospel. His introduction to Jesus' ministry says, later on, after John was arrested, remember John is preaching the kingdom of heaven is coming. That's his thing. Repent. Do it whilst you can because God's kingdom is coming. John is arrested for preaching that message. Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. Hallelujah. What was God's good news that he preached? The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Get the consistency in the message. So John starts it off and then Jesus comes and fabulously grabs the baton and takes it forward. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom is here. God is building his kingdom on earth. When we when Jesus taught 
the disciples how to pray, that wonderful prayer that most of us will have prayed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. And that is what we are doing. When we're building the kingdom, we are bringing that prayer into reality. We are building God's kingdom. Because that is what we pray for. That is what we want to see. We want to see the kingdom of God come. And the kingdom of God comes when his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And that is what we're trying to achieve. But, you know, God's kingdom is a dynamic thing. And God's kingdom is a mutual thing. This is Emmett. You can tell that if you look really closely. He's got it written on his leg. But um, this is Emmett. Now, I know not all of you will be of the right age profile to actually recognize Emmett. Emmett is the star of the Lego movie. And Emmett knows a lovely song. <laughs> Which I'm not going to start singing. But, <laughs> but no, you really wouldn't want me to sing. <laughs> but the theme song for Emmett is everything is awesome when you're part of a team. And that is the message, actually, of the Lego movie, is that everything is awesome when you're part of a team. Emmett is not a special individual, and that's, that's the point of the movie. Emmett is an everyman. He's literally an everyman. He's a generic Lego figure. And he meets all these kind of people who are specific Lego figures, and some of them have tremendous creative abilities, and they're brilliant. But Emmett's just like just a normal, I do what I'm told. That's what I do. And I've done the same thing every day of my life. But Emmy understands that everything is awesome when you are part of a team. And God is part of a team. God is the Holy Trinity. God is three persons in one. He is, eternally has been, eternally will be, unchangingly, a team effort. But, you know, God isn't just a team. God doesn't just believe in teamwork for himself. God believes in teamwork for us as well. God made the universe and he put our planet in it and he made our planet and he made it perfectly and he made it fantastic. And the culmination of his work was he put humankind on the planet, but he didn't put us on the planet to be like the birds in the trees or like the insects flying around. Or like the grass that just grows. Mankind was put on the planet for a very specific purpose. And that was to exercise the reign and rule of God over the planet. To build his kingdom. To be part of his kingdom. And he gave Adam authority to reign. To bring the reign of God actively into the planet. Into creation. Because God wanted it to be teamwork. He didn't want to do it all himself. And he didn't want Adam to do it all himself. What he wanted was a team. Him and Adam working together. 
God and mankind working together, ruling and reigning over creation and bringing it into order and keeping it in order to demonstrate the kingdom of God. Adam messed up, as we know. And a few generations later, God got so fed up with mankind. He wanted to start again. But he didn't start again by creating a, by just taking over completely, by micromanaging and wrenching the controls back. He kept, he took another man, Noah, and he said, I'm going to start again with you because you I can rely on. You are going to help me build my kingdom. And so he sent the flood, but he got Noah to build the ark first. He didn't just say, by the way, Noah, here's an ark. Make sure you get on it. His instructions were, build it. I'm going to tell you exactly what you need to build it of. I'm going to tell you the exact dimensions. I've already done all the kind of design work and everything, and I've worked out all the, the engineering. Everything's going to be fine as long as you do it my way. You have to remember that, you know, if Noah had messed up, if Noah hadn't followed God's instructions and thought, really, no, I don't think it needs to be quite that big, and I think we'll change it over there, and actually, well, you know, <laughs> then it, Noah would have died. But he didn't. He followed the instructions. God wanted teamwork. Noah had to do his part. Generations later, God wanted to demonstrate to the world what it meant to have a special people, a people of his choosing, a holy priesthood, a nation that belonged to him especially, who could demonstrate his rule and reign, who could show what it meant, who could demonstrate righteousness, who could be an example to the whole of the rest of the world as to how to live, how to honor him. And so he chose Abram. But he didn't just say, carry on, but just change the picture that, or the idol you're praying to. No, his command to Abram was, get up and go. Leave your family. Leave the town where you live. Go to somewhere you've never been before. You don't even know if it really exists. I'm going to take you there, but you're going to have to go with me every step of the way. And Abram had to get up and go. It would not have worked God's plan would not have been carried out if he had not done what he was told to. And it was a hard thing to do. Um, at West Point, we had, I went to a seminar where they talked about shame. And they said, you know, in a Middle Eastern culture, everything, your, your status comes from how much land you own, how wealthy you are, and who you're parents are and who your family is because people live in villages people don't move around very much so who you are is in people's eyes is determined by who your father was and who your grandfather was because they know who those people were and if they were good people then you're good people and we'll do trade with you because you're good people but if they were bad people then you're bad people we're not going to touch you no we don't trust you because we know your father was untrustworthy or your uncle and the people that are least trusted of all are the outsiders, strangers, the gypsies. Yeah? Almost universally in every culture, travelers and gypsies are disliked. Why are they disliked? Because we don't know who they are. They're a bit different 
and they're not us. We don't know where they come from. We don't know much about them. They haven't got much stuff with them, so they probably want to take our stuff, you know? (coughs) And God basically said to Abram, you're good people. You come from a good place. You come from a good family. You're wealthy. People, you've got esteem. I'm turning you into a gypsy. You've got to go, and no one is going to want to have anything to do with you because everyone is going to treat you as an outsider. That's what. But Abram went. He followed the call of God. Therefore, God could build on what he was doing. Generations later, when Abram's descendants were in slavery, God wanted to demonstrate again who he was to do some of the greatest acts he had ever done in human history to, to show that he was God. <coughs> so he called Moses. But again, it wasn't just a kind of, I'm going to do it all, just leave it to me. Moses had to go to Pharaoh. Moses had to stand up to Pharaoh. And Moses had to keep going back and keep going back and keep going back. And then he had to lead the people. And then he gets to the Red Sea. And God says, you've got to lift up your hands. You know, you've got to do something. You've got to be active in this. I'm not just going to do it all unless you do your part. And God leads them through the desert. And they've got to trust in God for the manna. Moses has got to strike the rock and get the water come out. God believes in teamwork. When Jesus came, he made a team around him of people. And his parting words to them were, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in my name. It was going to be a team effort. Jesus was not going to do it all on his own. He had He left the work to a team because he wanted to see the team doing the work. I came across this quote, or two two quotes really, but yeah. The kingdom of God is not what God does while we are passive. Nor is it what we do whilst God watches passively. But it is the dynamic relationship of the people of God following the plans of God to bring in the kingdom of God. So it's not a passive thing on either part. It's not God sitting back and just leaving it all to us. And sometimes we think it is, you know. Sometimes we can think it's all about what we do. Sometimes, and sometimes we think we're going to leave it all to God. That he, um, we don't really have to do anything. We can just leave it all to God and he will sort it all out. But God wants a dynamic teamwork relationship. Where he works and we work and together the synthesis brings the kingdom. Another quote for you, William Booth, the guy who founded the Salvation Army, said, I am not waiting for a move of God. I am a move of God. You know, we 
are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we have the power to bring in the kingdom of God, to go out, to transform nations, transform neighborhoods, transform societies, transform individuals, transform ourselves, to bring about God's kingdom. But it is a kingdom. You know, we are blessed to live in a fantastic country known as the United Kingdom. And we live in our country, although it is called the United Kingdom, it is a parliamentary democracy. (coughs) We have a royal family, we have a queen who rules, but actually it's the government that makes all the rules. And the queen's job among other things, but her constitutional job is that she turns up once a year and reads out a speech the Prime Minister has written for her, and that nominally every time Parliament passes a law, she has to sign at the bottom to make it the law. And you know, sometimes, often perhaps, we as Christians, we as churches think that that's pretty much how it works with God as well that we come up with the plans, we make the decisions, and then we say, rubber stamp here, please. You know, Lord, we know what we're going to do. We're asking you, bless what we're doing. Do we not pray like that? <laughs> yeah. But God is not a constitutional monarch. He is an absolute monarch. He is not answerable to us. We are answerable to him. And he wants to build his kingdom through a team. But it's not a team where everybody gets a say. I know sometimes with the little children, we're trying to get them to do things. And we say, do this. I don't want that. And we have to say, this is not a democracy. This is a dictatorship. They still treat it like a democracy, but, you know, you have to say. So, you know, the, the dynamic is that we serve the king. We don't tell him what to do. He tells us what to do. And that's a very unusual dynamic. You know, as people, we are, we want to be independent. The um, the article I saw, I told you that I found on top of my notes, and that the lady, the person writing it says, um, at the heart of the kingdom of God is the king. For me to learn how to be a citizen of that kingdom, I need to learn how to submit my rule to him. Submission does not come naturally. We like to be in control. We like to heed our own opinions. And we like to trust our own judgment. We don't even like the word submission. It's associated with force and oppression. But God's rule is never oppressive. It is life-giving. So if our inclinations are opposed to submission... 
And yet we know that through submitting to God's rule, our lives will, will come to experience God's kingdom more readily. Then we need to learn how to submit. And Jesus talks to his disciples because they were constantly having what is a normal human mindset, which is, who's going to be in charge? Who's going to be next? You know, who's going to take over? Who's the most important? You know, I know we're all your friends, but who's your best friend? Yeah, and that's that's a normal thing. And, you know, and isn't it great? We've got all this power. We can tell all these people to do it. Shall we, shall we go and blow up that village because they weren't very nice to us? You know? And Jesus has to say, Completely the opposite way around in my kingdom. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus came as a servant, you know, it says in Philippians that he, he humbled himself. He didn't think equality with God was something to be grasped, but rather he humbled himself and became a human being. He became a humble human being, born as a tiny baby, totally helpless, in a back room, a stable of a small hostelry or home or something in the back streets of a small and fairly insignificant town in a small country that was under conquest. Nothing big, nothing impressive. And he lived his life to get through. He lived his life for other people. He lived his life demonstrating what it meant to listen to the Father and to do as he was sent by the Father. And he called us to be like that, to put God's priorities first before our priorities, to put other people first before ourselves. And Jesus is, throughout the book of Acts, Jesus is constantly referred to as God's servant. He seldom, I, I can't, I couldn't, there may be, some of you may know, I, don't, I couldn't find a single reference in Acts to him being called God's son, but he's frequently called God's servant. You know, when Peter is preaching his first ma major sermon, I think three times he refers to Jesus as God's servant Jesus, whom you crucified. Um, but in Acts 4, the, the church is together and praying and they say, for this has happened in this very city, for, for Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate the governor, governor, the Gentiles and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O oh Lord, Hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. I always think that's quite amazing because, you know, for us, when we're praying, when I'm praying for the persecuted church, I tend to pray, God, keep them safe. God, protect them. You know, 
if we were in danger today, if, if this was an illegal meeting and we were at risk of being rounded up and put into prison for just meeting here this morning, I would be praying, God, keep us safe. God, don't let anyone notice we're here. God, don't let the police come in and arrest us. And yet the early church say, no, bring them on. Give, but give us the boldness to keep going, not to be afraid of them, not to be quiet, but to speak louder. Give great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done in your name. And in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Because Jesus was God's servant. Jesus was God's son. But if you look biblically at what the requirements of a child are, it is obey your, honor your father and mother, obey your parents. And God sent Jesus as the perfect son to demonstrate what that looks like. Jesus was holy God in every way, but he chose to humble himself and he chose to take on the role of a servant and of an obedient son. And we are to be obedient children of God, you know, we often sing, you know, that, you know, I am a child of God, and, and this is true, and this is great, and we need to have that revelation that we are children of the holy living God, loved, cherished, empowered, carrying his DNA, but as children, we are to be obedient to the Father, and that is the kind of children we are to be. We're not children who are rebellious children, who run off and do their own thing, who do not listen. But we are to be the obedient children of our Father in heaven. Paul, throughout his letters, is frequently, he seldom calls himself anything like the mighty apostle who you have to listen to. But he frequently refers to himself as the servant of Christ. You know, I am a, I'm an apostle, but I'm a servant of Christ. I serve the gospel, and I serve you, the people. The people, he writes his letters to these people who he is serving. And he often, you know, he sometimes says, you know, look, you know, I came, I didn't take any money off of you because I came to serve you. I came to help you. I came to bring good God's good news to you and to assist you in bringing it to the world. So if these, these, these people who we seek to emulate saw themselves as servants, then we are to see ourselves as servants to God. Because the gospel should cost you everything. Following Christ should cost you everything. That doesn't mean you give everything away necessarily. But it means you that when you choose to fire God, you humble yourself and become that obedient child, become that servant. Because to use the quote, he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And, you know, we so often, we want to take all the great stuff about the love of God and about being God's child and about being cherished and all the, all the good, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We want all that, but we don't want the responsibility that comes with it. 
you know, that our, our society is built on human rights, but very few times it mentions human responsibilities. You know, we are, we have responsibilities to follow God, to build his kingdom, because that is what he wants from us. When he asks us to become part of the team, he wants us to do the work of the team in building the kingdom. And we do that one brick at a time. We do that one decision at a time. Every time you decide to follow God and not your, your own best interests, not your own inclinations, or not what the world tells you to do, every time you say, no, I could, but God says not, or I could sit here and do nothing, but God wants me to go out and help then you are, when you put God first, you are bringing his kingdom in. When you acknowledge him as your king and not yourself or somebody else as your king, then you are building his kingdom. Every time you value those people that he values, every time you say that a poor person or a disabled person or someone who is considered insignificant is as important as that film star on the cover of the magazine or, or deserves as good a treatment as the person in their huge house over in Sandbanks, then you are putting kingdom values first and you are building the kingdom. Every time you stand for righteousness and do what is right rather than what is convenient or expedient, you are building the kingdom. When we choose to give away what we have, to bless those that need it, even though we may not feel we have enough for ourselves, and we trust God and say, God, I'm going to give it, and I'm just going to have to trust you to bring what I need, we are building the kingdom. When we pray for the sick, when we see someone who is ill, and we say, there is a God in heaven who is powerful and who has power over life and death and sickness and we believe in that God and we're going to pray to that God and trust in him to heal because we know he can and we know he is good then we build the kingdom because we're putting the kingdom first and as we build the kingdom God does his part he builds with us so we are part of a team so we are God's team. We are God's children. And our role is to build God's kingdom. But we have the power to do it because of what God has done for us. And I just wanted to conclude with this quote. The cross is not about getting us off the hook for petty naughtiness. But it is the point where the history of Israel climaxes as the kingdom of God comes and overcomes the kingdom of the world. The great door barred since Adam swings open to reveal the way to the garden city that God has planned to build with us. The power of darkness which stood in the way is overcome and victory is assured. As we build the kingdom, 
under the king, we know that victory is assured. 